Texas and Oklahoma haven't even made it to the SEC yet, and things are already getting messy. The SEC, it just means more. More messy. <laughs> you are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we are discussing the SEC spring meetings taking place this week. The big topic of discussion, the eight or nine game conference schedule. I have a lot to say about that. Then we're talking about Nick Saban. He's dry snitching again, but this time he brought up your Texas Longhorns. I get my thoughts on his tired ass NIL rent. And then we talk about Caleb Love. He chose Arizona over Texas and UConn. What does that mean for this roster in 2023? We discuss all of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Two things before we get into the eight or nine game conference schedule segment. First thing is Arch Manning is graduating from high school today. Shout out to you. Congratulations, Arch. The second thing is we are currently sitting at 2,901 YouTube subscribers. Normally, I am too proud to big. Today is not one of those days. Call me the temptations, right? I'm greatly appreciative and I don't take it for granted all the support I've gotten thus far uh, on YouTube and on audio to get to 2,901 YouTube subscribers is something I never envisioned. I never thought I would be doing this and I would not be able to talk Texas athletics three to five times a week on YouTube and all platforms without your support. So please, I'm asking if you could help me get to 3,000 YouTube subscribers as a young content creator, that would mean the world to me. That's a very important milestone for me. And I would never ask uh, you offer anything without giving you something in return. So one thing I'm going to start doing on the show at least once a week is reading and responding to your YouTube comments on the show. I used to do it in the comment section, every comment. But when the show started to get a little more traction, I got busier. I wasn't able to do that. But at least once a week, I'm going to start taking your YouTube comments and reading them on the show because I'm just the one on the mic, you know, but this is for all of us, right? This is our school. This is our university. And these are our favorite football, basketball, and baseball teams, et cetera, and et cetera. So, you know, I couldn't do this without y'all. And I'm really appreciative of the support. And please help me get to 3,000. Like I said, that would be a big milestone for me and a big milestone for Locked on Longhorns. So when we talk about the SEC spring meetings, they're taking place between Tuesday and Friday this week. And Texas and Oklahoma are in the building, Right. Uh, they are represented, but they do not have a vote, which makes sense because Texas and Oklahoma will not be in the conference until 2024. So they're not active members of the conference. They should not be able to vote. And one of the biggest discussions this week, maybe the biggest discussion in SEC spring meetings is the eight or nine game conference schedule. Now, we as Texas fans largely assume that by the time we got into the SEC, they would move to the three, six, six, or excuse me, three, three, six format, which I'll explain in depth in a little bit later in the segment, but that seems to be up in the air right now. And all reports say that the schools are split, right? The schools are split in terms of some schools wanting the eight game conference schedule and some schools wanting to move to the nine game conference schedule. Now the good news for Texas and Oklahoma who do not have a vote, but have expressed interest in the nine game conference schedule is that Greg Sankey, the SEC commissioner has also expressed his favor in terms of the nine game conference schedule, he is in favor, I should say, of the nine game conference schedule. Brian Kelly from LSU has come out and said he's in favor of the nine game conference schedule and the three permanent opponents. 
uh, Kirby Smart, who has nothing to worry about, winning two straight national championships, said he's not worried about the nine-game conference schedule. In fact, he said it's one of the craziest discussions that we're even having, right? One of the most pointless discussions. So he's war-ready, whatever we go, based on whoever you put on his schedule. Nick Saban has previously said he's in favor of going to nine conference games. But when they told him his three permanent opponents would likely be Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn, he pushed back on that, saying Tennessee, LSU, and Auburn are too good to be his three permanent opponents. So you know how Nick Saban tries to work the media, and this is just another example. I'll get on him in the next segment for bringing up Texas for absolutely no reason, right? So when you look at just the format of the eight and nine game conference schedule, I'm going to go through that before I give my thoughts on what I would like to see happen in the SEC. And to me, there's only one clear answer, and it's not close. When you look at the eight-game schedule, which is looking likely to start in 2024, possibly until 2026 right now, which is the current SEC scheduling format, there would be four non-conference games, right? One permanent SEC opponent every year for each school. For Texas, that would likely be Oklahoma. And seven rotating SEC opponents that vary. So the only guaranteed SEC game on your schedule every year would be Oklahoma in this format, at least until 2026, if they arrive at that decision. Or the nine-game schedule, where you would have three non-conference games. You would have three permanent SEC opponents that you would play every year on your schedule, Oklahoma, A&M, and Arkansas would likely be the three for Texas. And then six rotating opponents that you would play every year, right? So I guess you would have a home and home every two years with these other six opponents outside of OU, A&M, and Arkansas, if you're looking at it from the Texas perspective. Now, there has been some pushback on the nine-game conference schedule. And although I don't agree with it, it makes sense. Because if you're a school like South Carolina, right, you already have to play eight grueling SEC games. You already have to play Clemson every year in the non-conference schedule, right? Why would you, as South Carolina, want to add another SEC game on top of that? I understand. Don't agree with it, but I understand. If you're Florida, you already play Florida State every year, plus eight grueling SEC games. Why would you want to add another SEC game on top of that? Like I said, I don't agree with it, but I completely understand. Texas has expressed interest in the nine-game conference schedule. But I can understand why a Texas fan is like, yo, 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 hold your horses, big dog, because we got home and homes with Michigan and Ohio State coming up, right? Why would a Texas fan who wants to see their team first and foremost in the SEC championship game or the college football playoff want to see Texas play nine conference games and play Michigan or Ohio State on top of that. So I completely understand why some schools are pushing back and saying, look, our schedule is already too tough to add another SEC game, right? We want to stick to scheduling four ICDC colleges in the, in the non-con so we have our best chance to get to a bowl game and compete in postseason play. I completely understand why some schools would favor the eight-game conference schedule over the nine games because you're looking at it in the sense of, we're going to win more games in the eight-game conference schedule rather than the nine. And some schools in the SEC already have a very tough schedule without having to add uh, uh, Texas to it or Oklahoma to it. I mean, imagine having to choose between adding Kent State to your schedule or Georgia to your schedule. I could understand why you might want to run from that smoke and say you want the eight-game conference schedule. Another reason why we're not likely just yet to go to the nine-game conference schedule in the SEC is because money, money, money. You know, money is the root of all evil. So the SEC, if they're going to go to a ninth conference game, 
They want more money for going to a ninth conference game, which makes all the sense in the world, right? You're not just going to put another high-intensity, high-leverage SEC game out there for free, right? But ESPN is also looking at it like, well, we made this TV rights deal before y'all decided to bring in Texas and Oklahoma. This is already sitting there right we don't have to offer y'all any more money. We are not contractually obligated to give y'all any more money. So there seems to be pushback on that as well, right? ESPN is looking at it like, why should we pay y'all, right? And SEC is looking like, well, why would she, Why should we give y'all an extra conference game if you're not going to give us more money? That is a rift that could last until 2026, right? So it's looking likely that in 2024, Texas will enter the SEC in a eight-game conference schedule format. Now, the reason that I think this is absolutely ridiculous, because there is no scenario, there is no world I want to live in, in which Texas and Texas A&M are in the same conference and they do not play every season. Now, I know this is not a direct parallel because Auburn and Alabama is to what Texas and Oklahoma are, not necessarily Texas and Texas A&M. But what sense would it make for USC and UCLA not to play every year? What sense would it make for Michigan and Michigan State not to play every year? What sense would it make for Alabama and Auburn to not play every year? What sense would it make for Florida and Florida State to not play every year? And you're sitting here telling me that Texas and Texas A&M would be in the same conference and possibly play every two years? Are you kidding me? Teams that have played 118 times, teams that have not played since 2011, you're telling me that Texas is going to come to the SEC and play AM possibly every two years? How would that make sense? Why would Texas and Texas AM, the two biggest schools in the most important state in the country, not play every year in the SEC? That makes absolutely no sense to me. And I've heard Texas fans say their little brother, I don't care if we play Texas AM or not, stop it. We haven't played them in football in 12 years, and y'all been talking trash to them every day on Twitter for the last 12 years consecutively straight. Y'all talk trash to them on Christmas every single day. I'm on Twitter, I see it. Even we don't have no new material every day talking trash to AM fans. Stop acting like Texas is just so unbothered. We don't need to play AM. And then AM fans are talking about we went to the SEC to trailblaze a new legacy. We want to play LSU every year instead of Texas. LSU ain't worried about y'all. LSU don't care about y'all the way that y'all care about LSU. And why would y'all not want to play Texas every year? That doesn't make sense to me. Once again, Aggies who have been talking trash about Texas every day for the last 12 years, trying to act like all of a sudden they're so unbothered about Texas. We're not unbothered about Texas A&M. They're not unbothered about us. And that's the reason it's one of the greatest rivalries in college sports. And like I said, I do not want to live in a world where we go to the SEC and we play Texas A&M every two years. And if I'm a recruit, I want to play Texas A&M every year. I'm at Texas. I don't want to come to Texas to play A&M every two years. So I understand why some schools would want the nine game, excuse me, the eight game conference schedule as opposed to the nine game conference schedule. And it makes all the sense in the world. But when you start talking about getting rid of some of the greatest rivalries of all time or playing them every two years as opposed to every year, especially a rivalry like Texas and Texas A&M, that is absolutely blasphemous and bogus to me. There is no reason that Texas and Texas A&M, who have not played in 12 years, should be in the same conference and not play football against each other every year. And if we have to go to a nine-game conference schedule to make that happen, then it's exactly what needs to happen when Texas and Oklahoma get to the SEC. A quick word from Fando, and then we talk about Nick Saban, who is dry snitching once again. Make a fast break to FanDuel during the NBA playoffs because right now new customers can get a no-sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's 
$2,500 back in bonus bets if your first bet does not win. There's no better place to bet all of the playoff action than America's number one sportsbook. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and get a no-sweat first bet of up to $2,500. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. So I know this is locked on Longhorns. There's really no connection to the you know, NBA, but the finals do start tomorrow. It is the Nuggets versus the Heat. So if you've listened this far into the show, once again, I greatly appreciate it. Hopefully you subscribed and helped me get to 3,000 or closer to 3,000. Let me know in the comments who you got, the Heat or the Nuggets. I'm not sure yet, but I did go to my first ever game at the Pepsi Center. So I guess I'm kind of rooting for, you know, the Nuggets a little bit more than the Heat. But I do like Jimmy Butler. I'm a Bulls fan, and we drafted Jimmy Butler. So I'm kind of torn on this one. But should be good hoops, you know, either way. I love Mike Malone. I love uh, Eric Spolster. So it should be good hoops. Uh, either way, let me know you know who you got in the comments, the Heat or the Nuggets, and I'll let y'all know. <laughs> Get to by tomorrow. <laughs> uh, so Nick Saban is back to dry snitching, and you know Nick Saban is one of, if not the greatest college football coach of all time. You know that's subjective. I think he's the greatest college football coach of all time. You know other people might think of other coaches. That's perfectly fine, right? He's certainly in the conversation, right? You can't leave Nick Saban out of the GOAT conversation. And to be one of the greatest coaches of all time, I think you have to be a really good communicator, right? And I think Nick Saban is a very good communicator. The problem is he uses his communication at times, especially in the media, to be a shrewd operator. And we saw that last year at a booster event, I think, uh, in Montgomery, Alabama, or Mobile, Alabama, where he was talking to Alabama boosters, and he started dry snitching. He brought up Jackson State and how they flipped Travis Hunter from uh, Florida State, and he mentioned a barstool deal. Like, that wouldn't have been possible without a million-dollar NIL deal. He mentioned Nigel Pack going from Kansas State to uh, Miami, when it was reported that Nigel Pack took a $400,000 NIL deal to go to Miami. He brought that up, right? He also brought up the number one recruiting class that Texas A&M signed in 2022, saying that Texas A&M bought all of their players. So whether Nick Saban really has a problem with how NIL is governed or Nick Saban is doing this to call out his own boosters and get them to spend at the level that he feels like Miami, Jackson State, Texas A&M and Texas are spending at, the fact that you keep dry snitching and bringing up these schools when you have no reason to is wrong to me. The fact that you can't communicate and get your point across without dry snitching on your contemporaries and these other schools is very wrong to me. Now, his original premise, I actually agree with. So he's discussing NIL at the SEC spring meetings, and he's saying that schools, instead of you know, using these outside sources and NIL collectives that can get really murky in terms of how players are being paid. Is it being done the right way? Are, you know, schools violating the rules, et cetera, et cetera. He says schools should just use a part of their media rights revenue to pay players straight up, right? Make it above ground, have a union, have official contracts with the school and everything. That makes sense, right? I've never understood why we're going to move to paying players, but the school that the players play for can't pay them, right? They have to get paid by outside sources. That never made sense to me. And I think that would be a better avenue than trying to funnel money through these NIL collectives. Because if you were paying players above ground officially through contracts through the school, you would never have to worry about a situation like Jaden Rashada signing a $13 million NIL deal, which should have sounded crazy as hell to begin with, but signing a $13 million NIL deal just for them to come back two months later and say we never had $13 million to begin with, and now he's at another school and doesn't get to go to Florida because of the bad blood that happened because of that. I think what Nick Saban is proposing in terms of schools paying the players directly 
directly from their media rights revenue would clean up a lot of the wild, wild west that we've seen in NIL recently, right? This also would ensure that all schools are operating under similar rules rather than state specific state specific guidelines. Sorry for that. Right. I'm not going to come on here and act like I know the difference between Texas's NIO rules and Alabama's NIO rules and Maine's and New Hampshire's and Oregon's NIO rules. Right. I don't know that. All I know is, is that different states are operating under different guidelines and that could give you know states like Texas maybe an advantage. Right. Which is why Nick Saban for the second year in a row is up on his little chair at the SEC spring meetings. Drysons, right? Now, when I look at it, to me, like I said, I understand if you're trying to be a shrewd operator and get your boosters to put more money into Alabama to allow you to be more competitive, then I understand that. But what I don't like is you getting up in front of this press conference, right? Getting in front, getting up in front of the media and crying wolf. Like Alabama is at a disadvantage because just two years ago, you were bragging about how Bryce Young had almost a million dollars in NIL deals, if not over a million, right? So for you to come up here and act like Alabama is at any type of disadvantage is wrong. And I know for a fact you're not speaking about the smaller schools that you yourself have taken advantage of, because how did in this recruiting class, did you flip the number one offensive tackle in the country and the number one edge rusher in the country? You mean to tell me you didn't do that without NIL, right? The number one offensive tackle in the country who grew up in Iowa commits to Iowa, and then all of a sudden, Right. Before he decommits, we're hearing rumblings that he's headed to Alabama. So if Kirk Ferentz got up at Big Ten Media Days and said that schools like Alabama and coaches like Nick Saban are using NIL to pry players away from our respective universities, would he be wrong for calling you out the same way that you just called out Texas, Texas A&M, Miami, Jackson State, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and USC? If Marcus Freeman from Notre Dame got up on whatever media days, Notre Dame media days, I guess, and <laughs> said that Nick Saban is using NIL to pry Keon Keeley away from our university. Would he be wrong for that? Would he be wrong for dry snitching in the form that you're doing? Right. Please stop acting like Alabama is at any type of disadvantage. Please stop acting like Alabama is struggling with NIL. And please stop acting like you didn't get creative and were paying players before NIL even became a thing. The only school that I could even make the argument has more of an advantage in terms of recruiting and getting players right now than Alabama is Georgia. So I'm tired of this whack ass NIL rant that Nick Saban has gotten up and done for the last two years. And I'm really tired of him dry snitching. What are you bringing up USC for? Yes, the Jordan Addison and Bear Alexander recruitments may have looked a little fishy, but stop acting like, you know, Everything is peaches and cream down there in Tuscaloosa. Of course, you're bringing up Texas A&M. You probably did lose some players in that 2022, that 2022 class to Texas A&M, right? Like, I'm, I'm just speaking fast. I'm, I'm excited, right? That's why, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fumbling a little bit. But Texas A&M does not have a recruiting advantage over Alabama. Like, you're talking about Texas. What has Texas done to Alabama? What? What recruiting matchup, what one-on-one recruiting battle has Texas won over Alabama? I don't consider Arch because Arch was never going to Alabama. That was always a Texas or Georgia thing. What has USC done to Alabama? What has Jackson State done to Alabama? What has Miami done to Alabama? For Nick Saban, who has enjoyed a ton of success for the last 16 years, to get up there dry snitching, mentioning other schools and other coaches. For what? You are doing just fine with NIL. Since NIL has been a thing, you have not signed less than the third ranked recruiting class in the country. Why are you acting like the victim? Why are you acting like NIL is affecting you? Why are you acting like you can't do things that Texas and Texas can't Texas A&M can do in terms of building their roster? 
Why? Why are you acting like you're at a disadvantage? Why are you in front of the media crying wolf about NIL? We know about them car dealerships down there in Tuscaloosa. Why are you bringing up the University of Texas? You are Nick Saban. You have had a dynasty for the last 16, 17 years. And you whining in front of the media about NIL? When you just said Bryce Young had a million dollars in NIL? When you just flipped the number one tackle and the number one edge rusher in the country? And you want to complain like Alabama's at a disadvantage? Or you want to act like you're the face, you're the voice for these smaller schools, the same schools that you're taking recruits from? Man, miss me with that. Please stop dry snitching. Please go coach your football team and worry about what you got going on in Alabama. We are just fine over here at the University of Texas, as you will find out on September 9th. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about Caleb Love. He chose Arizona over Texas and UConn. Sorry, I know I fumbled through that rant. I know some of it don't make sense. You know, I know I just was going, but it's like, shut up, bro. You know, like Nick at this point, like, just shut up, bro. It like, just shut up. All right. So now we're talking about Caleb Love and he left North Carolina after three years. He went to Michigan and he ends up entering the transfer portal again because of some academic requirements. Now, I wouldn't have done it, but I respect the fact that Michigan let him go because of academics, right? I respect the fact that they're willing to stand on their academics and not been that for a player as talented as Caleb Love. So he re-enters the transfer portal and we knew that Texas was interested initially, but it never felt like Texas had a huge chance to land Caleb Love. But we started to hear more and more smoke that Caleb Love actually might be, you know, on Texas's radar, right? Or Texas might actually be on Caleb Love's radar and that it seemed as though, I mean, Caleb Love was going to end up at either Arizona, Texas, or UConn. Now, Caleb Love did end up at Arizona, and I think the fit at Texas would have been a little wonky. Now, you take it because he's one of the most talented players in the country, and Ronnie Terry and his staff are probably feeling like we can get more out of Caleb Love than we ever saw at North Carolina, right? We can get that Caleb Love that we saw in the NCAA tournament in Coach K's career, literally, right? And I think, but I still think the fit would have been a little wonky because on offense, you would have had Caleb Love, who is a natural either point or shooting guard, playing the three, right? That would have kind of been, I think, a little tough to figure out in terms of, okay, how is Tyrese Hunter going to play? How is Max Avis going to play? Somebody who's used to having the ball in his hands all the time. How is Caleb Love going to play off of them? Who, you know, he's used to having the ball in his hands all the time. So I think that would have been a wonky fit, too. You're looking for a team to have a lot of defensive versatility, and I love what you're doing you know, we brought Cunningham, you brought in Sarika Onyema, you brought back Dylan DeSue, and then you brought back, I mean, you brought in uh, Caden Shedrick, right? You brought back Tyrese Hunter, who was a great defender, right? So you have some pieces that can defend a lot of positions, right? Ron Holland would have been the perfect fit for that, somebody that could probably guard one through four, but we're not going to talk about Ron Holland right now, right? But if you got Caleb Love, first of all, who are Caleb Love and Max Amos guarding? Nobody. Secondly, <laughs> You would have three players in your starting lineup, six, four or shorter. Right. That doesn't give you a ton of defensive versatility, especially when the two bigs next to them are Caden Shedrick and Dylan Sue. Right. I think they're great around the rim and can be great rim protectors and post defenders. But you don't want Dylan Sue or Caden Shedrick too often. Maybe he could surprise me this year switching on to point guards and wings. And I don't think that Caleb Love would have been able to give you a lot of defensive versatility at that three position. So it was one of those things where you had to look into it. You had to you know, take it just because of the offensive versatility and explosiveness 
that it could give you on that side of the ball, but I don't think it would have been the best fit. So I think now you have to pivot to a player maybe like Arthur Kaluma from Creighton, who can give you a lot more of that inside scoring presence, but does have the ability to knock down shots on the outside, but he gives you more versatility at the three, right? He's bigger, 6'8", so he can guard more positions than Caleb Love. He's more athletic or as athletic as Caleb Love. That gives you versatility. And like I said, he can kind of masquerade between playing on the wing or playing in the post as well. So I think that gives you a lot of defensive versatility and offensive versatility. He's somebody that has a lot of skill sets, right? He doesn't necessarily do anything elite, but does a lot of, you know, things well, right? And I think that fits into what they have on this team already. Two, I think you're looking for at least one to two more wing players slash three-point shooters. Rodney Terry has said he wants to build this team in Miami's image, right? That Miami team had very capable three-point shooters. Texas was not a great three-point shooting team last year. That's something he wanted to improve on this offseason. He's done that already with Max Amos and uh, Kendall Weaver. He said he wants to have multiple guards or wings that can attack the basket and put pressure on the rim, right? You have that in Max Amos, Tyrese Hunter, and Kendall Weaver. I should have mentioned Tyrese Hunter with the three-point shooting as well, my bad. And you also would have that if you bring in somebody like another dynamic wing or an Arthur Kaluma, right? Somebody that can put pressure on the rim. We saw that in the second half against Miami when Isaiah Wong and the rest of the team just kept going down to the basket and getting whatever they wanted. And then also he wants a team that has a lot of defensive versatility. And I think bringing in a player like Arthur Kaluma as opposed to a Caleb Love gives you that defensive versatility. Because like I said, Caleb Love and Max Amos just have not proven to be great defenders in college basketball, which is not a bad thing. They just haven't shown to be great defenders. And when you have three players in your starting lineup, six, four or shorter, that could open up a lot of room for switches and you getting taken advantage taken advantage of on the defensive end. So, you know, I wish Caleb Love the best. It would, have not, it would have been nice to see, you know, a very explosive scorer like that, a very explosive player in college basketball like that, spend his time at the 40 Acres. I think it would have helped in terms of prestige and recruiting, you know, but I think he made probably the better fit decision in terms of going to Arizona. And now Texas has to dip into the portal where there are over 2,000 players and find at least three more players that fit into what Ronnie Terry wants to do with this team in 2023. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hook them. Peace.